opening your Bibles there, we're just going to have the slide on of the vision. want to welcome everybody to church this morning. How many are glad you came today? Amen. It's the first slide of the sermon, brothers, in the back. I am so encouraged by what God is doing in this church through the growth of the ministries, the baptisms that we've had, to the outreaches, to the generosity. Just want to say thank you. Can you look at your neighbor and say, Pastor, thanks you. Amen. You are thanked by me today. You are thanked. You are special. You are amazing. Now, are you doing it for me? Of course not. You're doing it for the big thank you of Jesus. Amen. How many are ready to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant? That's what we're here for. We're here for God, and what God has done for us is what compels us to give back. So I want you just to hold that scripture and mark for a few moments as I explain once again why we are doing this at the beginning of the year. And of course, leave it to me to take a beginning of the year sermon series all the way to March, and who knows when this thing will end. The idea here was in January to encourage you with vision for the new year to do more for God in 2024 than you've ever done before. How many remember that was the reason why we started? Amen. And we've been going through all of these things about what makes a church special and what makes us unique. Went through our name. So just everybody get this. We started in January with the name. Here we are in March, Loving God. That's where we're at right now, okay? Just to let everybody know, we still have to go through loving people. We then have to go through connect, mentor, send. The cross is the center of all that we do. And then we'll go to our goal and to the understanding of being in Christ and participating in the divine nature of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Can I hear an amen to them? So there's a lot to go over. And the idea that I had had was, well, I'll just take on one per week, and we'll be done in a few weeks, four or five weeks. But what happened was the Lord directed me in different ways. And one of the things that I felt really directed in was to spend time just in the name, explaining the name, but more than that, applying it to your life with vision. Because there's a vision behind our name, there should be a vision in the name of the business you're a part of, a vision in the name of the family that you're a part of, the name of the goals that you have. You have to name it to claim it so that you can receive it. Can I hear an amen? Sometimes say, uh, people say, well, just name it and claim it. That's just wishful thinking. That's not true Christianity. But it is if you apply it to the Word of God. God wants you to name it and to claim it so that you can receive it. You have not because you ask not. And if you are not asking, it's because you believe not. And if you believe not, it's because you know not. Can I hear an amen to that? That is a key part of understanding vision. The Bible says you have not because you ask not. So there's a lot of people that should be asking God for things but are not. As one preacher said, it's mythological, it's fiction. Okay, so don't quote me on this. But he said it as an example. Many people will get to heaven and God will say, oh, you know, I want to show you this room, but I don't know if you can handle it. And then they're going to go into that room and see every blessing that they ever could possibly imagine. And then they're going to say, well, God, why didn't you want me to see this? And God's going to say, because this is all I wanted to give you, but you never asked for it. You never went for it. This is the room that I have for your purpose. I know it's a fictional story, but it makes sense to me because the Bible says in the parable of the stewards that what you don't use, you will lose, and he'll give it to somebody else. 
oftentimes I've said this about my calling. Why is Joe here from Fort Wayne, Indiana, pastoring in Chicago when I'm not a Chicago native? And I believe that's because a lot of people in Chicago said, we don't want to go to Belmont and Clark. We don't want to go to Boricua Fest. We don't want to stand in front of the abortion clinics. And God said, well, I have somebody that will do all that and then some. Come on over here. And some of you might be wondering, why do you see success so quickly, so quickly in the kingdom of God? It's because you're picking up what other people put down. They didn't want it, and you're picking it up saying, well, I'll take on the mantle in Jesus' name. So I wanted you to get the vision to experience great things in your life, and I've already been hearing that from many. And I always want to encourage you because I know in a church where babies are being born, we're having miscarriages. My wife and I had a miscarriage two months ago, and babies are being born. I understand that sometimes somebody's having the greatest time of their life and you might be in the hardest season of your life. And so I want you to understand this. What God is doing for others, he will do for you. Just because you haven't experienced yet the answer to your prayer, just because you haven't seen your Goliath fall, doesn't mean that Goliaths are not falling. So this is what I've always done and this is what I encourage you to do. Shout and give God praise while you watch him blessing others because that's your God showing up and showing off. If your marriage is not yet right, celebrate what God is doing in the marriages around you. If your finances are not yet right, celebrate what God is doing in the finances around you. Can I hear an amen? That's why I have never uh, put myself down because of where I'm at in the ministry or the size of billing or size of budget that I have. I've always believed that this is God's best for where I'm at, and I've celebrated what he's doing around the world because this is not the, this is not the end. It's the beginning. Amen. It's just the introduction. And so I hope that you can hold on. <clears throat> Excuse me. Can I get some water, please? <clears throat> Excuse me again. I hope that you can hold on through this sermon series because I think God is doing something great. Thank you, sister. God is doing something great in our lives through the understanding of where vision comes from. And then when I was talking to you about loving God, I wanted you to see that loving God is more than just an emotional thing that we feel, almost like it's mere emotions. Loving God comes from a heart of total commitment to the things that he has done for us. In our culture, we have lost the understanding of what love means. When you hear people getting married and say that they love each other and then they divorce each other so quickly or that they cheat on each other or that they do things that are immoral, this is not love. Can I hear an amen to that? You think about the love of God and what it compels us to do. It's more than just a mere feeling. What they'll try to tell you today in, in the medical world is that love is just a matter of chemicals. They'll say that this is the feeling. You know, they'll, they'll show you on a brain scan. This is, what you, this is what you're having in your brain when you feel love. But how many know love is more than those chemicals? Love is a commitment. Love is a dedication. And so when we talk about loving God, I'm not just talking about feeling goosebumps. How many of you feel goosebumps or the, the, you know, like the good feelings sometimes when you worship and you, you, you cry and all that? How many can sometimes feel those feelings? I feel those feelings. But how many know you don't feel those feelings every day? How many have ever felt butterflies towards your husband or your wife, you know, your spouse? How many have felt that? But how many know you don't feel that every day? So that's not just love. That's just not like, like right now if you were to put me on a brain scan you probably wouldn't see those endorphins lighting up for my love for my wife. You know, you probably wouldn't see that right now. But I love my wife. Does everybody get that? 
And it's the same thing with God. It's not just coming to church and saying, well, I feel love, and I feel like I love him, and, and I know he's real. And that's great because you're better than the atheist who denies that God and offers that to something else. Remember this. We were all made to be worshipers, so we'll either worship God or something else. It's not that somebody who says, well, I don't worship God stops worshiping. They'll start worshiping something else that's not worthy of God. They'll start worshiping their job. They'll worship their sexuality. They'll worship the people in their lives. They'll worship money. They'll worship their material things. So everyone's going to worship something. I mean, just look at the world and see how that's proven out. But remember this. The way we love, the way we worship, it's not merely based on feelings. That's why, once again, when you look at relationships, and even here, and let me just be honest with you, this is why so many of you struggle in your relationships, because you haven't matured to understand what real love is. Just open up your Bibles, not another passage. We'll get to Mark in just a second, but let me just go here for the introduction. Go to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 for the most popular wedding message. How many have heard this before? Chapter 13, verse 1, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels... But do not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have faith, I can move mountains. But have not love, I am nothing. Now notice how he's saying that it doesn't matter if you have all of these things and do all these things. If you don't have love, those things don't even matter. Okay? So notice this. Love is going to be supreme here. If I have the gift of prophecy, can fathom all ministry, uh, mysteries, all knowledge, and if I uh, have faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, give my body over to hardships that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Now notice what love is. Nothing here will present love as a feeling. Love is what? Say it with me. Love is what? Patient. And then love is what? Kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with what? Truth. It always what? Protects. It always trusts. It always what? Hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. Now show me in here your feelings. <clears throat> show me your feelings in here. Show me your emotions. Shame on us for reducing our love towards our spouses, our children, and even towards God based on our emotions. Shame on us that we, did, we dictate how we love based on how we feel, how I feel about you, how you feel about me. That's not what the Bible says. We do not base our love on our feelings. Do you think Jesus felt like loving the world after they had crucified him? Do you think Jesus felt the goosebumps towards the soldier that has been beating him all night? Absolutely not. So love is not a feeling only. It can be, and I thank God that he connects the right things to right feelings. I, I'm glad that we can do the right thing and we can feel the right way. But understand this. You can also feel a certain way about a wrong thing. How many know every person today in a homosexual, lesbian, LGBTQ relationship is feeling some kind of way in that relationship? And it feels real to them. It feels real. It feels like love. They think that is love. How many know someone starting an affair today feels a certain way about that person? And they say, the other one, my spouse, does not make me feel this way. How many know what I'm talking about, brothers and sisters? We've all been there. But you see, that's why it's a, it's a deception to trust your heart and those feelings without understanding what the definition of love actually is. So going now to Mark and to our notes now, please. Look at what Mark chapter 12, verse 30 says. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Can I hear an amen to that? Amen. How many know we went through each one of those? What your heart is, what your soul is, talking about your will, what your mind is, what your strength is. Please go back and listen to those messages if you missed it. That's powerful. But now everybody get this. Nowhere does it say in here to base your love on God based on feelings. The emotions of a human are fickle and they change. And just like how we have come in and out of our own relationships with people and we have been fair-weather friends to others and they've been fair-weather friends to us, oftentimes we are easily deceived in our relationship with God thinking God doesn't love us because we don't feel those feelings. I don't want you to raise your hand, but let's be honest. How many have questioned God's love because you went through a hard time and you didn't feel those feelings you had once had? Man, does God still love me? I'm at a funeral. I've lost this person that I care about. How could my God who loves me allow me to go through this? We feel that way. I know that when I backslid and as a young person in youth group over the bitterness of my soul, it was because I didn't think God was treating me fair. And when we're not feeling fair, when we're not feeling like the treatment we get is what we deserve, we don't think that that is love. We think that we're not being loved. We're not being cared for. And then we become stingy with our love back. And that's why I say so often in marriages, it's not 50-50, it's 100-100. We're given 100 even when they don't. Now, of course, there's biblical reasons for divorce, and I'm not saying that we don't support that. But I just want to be very clear here that marriages built on love will always last. Somebody failed in the honor of love and the respect of love. That's why a marriage doesn't work. When I look at the scriptures, I see a God who loves, not just in mere feelings. Look at 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. When we say that God is love, do we mean that God is just a bunch of chemicals that give him endorphins and he has the goosebumps and the butterflies of love? Love is a characteristic like holiness. It's not just a feeling, though I'm thankful that we can feel love, and I think God feels love as well. He's not a robot. But he doesn't have chemicals. In his spiritual nature, God feels love. But look at 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, one of the most popular verses in the Bible that always loves, uh, people always love to bring this up. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. So everybody's always excited to talk about, well, it's just love because God is love. And it's going to say that if you just skip down to verse 16, towards the end it says, God is love. Somebody say, God is love. Thank you. And if you were to make this this whole passage, your, your place of study, you will not find any place anywhere in here where it's about emotion. Just go back to where we were in verse 7. For love comes from God, right? Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. How does God show his love among us? By sending us Valentine's Day gifts? Nothing wrong with that, but notice what he does. This is how he shows his love. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Love gives. Love sacrifices. Love pays a price. If I say I love Chicago, then that means I'm willing to sacrifice for Chicago. If I love you, I'm willing to sacrifice for you. If I love God, I'm willing to pay a price for that love. 
Loving someone will cost you something. Love costs us something, and when it's reciprocated, when it's received, and they give that back to you, there is no greater feeling. That feeling is amazing. How many have been loved through someone's sacrifice towards you? Maybe the sacrifice or a mother or a parent or a spouse. How many have been through that? And then you give them back that same kind of love. How many know that cycle of self-sacrificing love, that love that is kind, that love that is not envious, that love that has the characteristics, the characteristics of God marked by his thumper? And how many know there's no greater feeling than that? Amen. So there is a great feeling in that. But the feeling of love can wane in those chemicals. Those chemicals in your brain, those endorphins can come and go now. But the truth still remains that God is love. The truth still remains that you're commanded to love God back. Go to 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, as we're hearing here. John 3.16 repeats that. But now look at 1 John 3.16. 1 John 3.16 connects John 3.16, the gospel of John and the epistle of John connecting here. One is John 3.16, the other is 1 John 3.16. Look at 1 John, his epistle now. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. So now, if you truly love God, you will love neighbor. If you truly love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you'll love your neighbor as yourself. Go back to the notes in that passage we had with Mark 12. Look at it. The very next verse, Jesus says, love your neighbor as what? As yourself. These are the greatest commandments, loving God and loving people. If you love God, you will obey God. You will follow God's commands, and you will treat people the way you want to be treated. Can we go to the next slide, please? I want you to think about this now. Living for Jesus is going to cost you something. Living for Jesus is the greatest gift that you can ever receive. But to receive it, you have to give up all you have. So often we focus on the gift being free, saved by grace through faith like we confess today, but we don't understand that the one prerequisite of receiving the gift is giving up everything in your life. It's a call to come and die so that you might live for Jesus. It's a call to deny yourself that you may take up your cross, your instrument of death daily, so that now you will live for God. Not your will, but his will be done. The love of God in your life should cause you to give up everything for it. The Bible speaks of the pearl of great price, a merchant. Jesus told this to un help us understand. There's a merchant. He deals with fine jewels and treasures, and he is searching for the greatest of treasure. And it happened to be a pearl. And he finds out that the pearl that he's looking for has been buried in this field. Jesus said for him to get that pearl, he sells everything he has so that now he can have that pearl in exchange. Does everybody get that? The illustration is simple. If you believe Jesus, if you believe like me that living for God is the pearl of great price, then you give up everything for that. Everything. Our hopes, our dreams, our talents, 
Everything you can put on the positive side of your life that you think is so valuable, our families, our relationships, you say to God, not my will, but your will be done. That's Christianity. Christianity will cost you everything. But in return, what do you get? The kingdom of heaven. And the way I look at it is, imagine today someone here, all they had was a dirty penny. A dirty little penny that they had found on the streets. And that was all that they had. Imagine someone today with an Amex Black, an American Express Black card that is backed up by the most wealthiest bank accounts in the world so it has no limit. They trust you that whatever you'll spend there, you can back up because we've checked your banks. There is nothing you could buy in a store with a credit card that's greater than your money in the bank. How many know what I'm talking about? There are some rich people that if they were like a billionaire would to try to spend his money at a mall, he could not spend it all in a day. How many know what I'm talking about? He couldn't even spend it all at a dealership, not even a Lexus dealership. Understand the wealth that some of these people have. Now imagine someone saying to that person with that dirty penny, I'll give you the Amex for that penny. You let go of what you have in your hand, and I'll let go of what's in my hand. You give to me all that you have, and I'll give to you all that I have. And now imagine, everybody think about this, an argument ensuing in that process. And this argument and this illustration is not over the validity of whether or not the Amex is real. That's already set, settled. I know we're street smart. We're not falling for that. We're not even giving you a penny if we think you're hustling us. Can I hear an amen to some street smart people? I've had people try to hustle me. Look, I got, a, I got a gift card of $20 on it. You give me $10. I don't trust you. I don't trust you. I'm not doing any of that. Leave me alone. What I got for you is a burrito right here. I'll give you some food. I'll take you to the shelter. But I'm not dealing in your hustle. Can I hear an amen? But I'm talking in this illustration. Imagine the argument that could ensue. Not over the validity. It's already settled. The person with the dirty penny trusts and understands the wealth is there. But now imagine a discussion going on something like this. Well, if I get your Amex, do I really get to spend it on whatever I want? Yeah, whatever you want. Now, if I do X, Y, and Z, you're going to back it up? Yeah, I'm going to back it up with this Amex. Well, let me ask you this. If I do something that you don't like with this Amex, what are you going to do? And the person says, I'm going to take it back. Now they say, okay, I understand that I can't do, to one sense, anything I want to do. So what are the limits? Here are the limits. And they begin to say it has to be for somebody you love. It has to be this way, this way. Could you imagine at the end of the day, everybody understand this, someone saying, well, no, I don't want it now because I can't buy a nuclear bomb with it. Or I don't want it now because I can't go to OnlyFans and rent three women for the night. Listen to me, my brothers and sisters. This is what it's like with us arguing with God. Well, God, I want salvation, but I still want my sin. And God's saying, no, no, salvation in life is plentiful, but it doesn't include your sin. God, I want your life, but I want to be able to do with it whatever I want, even against your morals. And God is saying, no, here's the limit. It's for good. It's for positive. And then at the end of the day, you'll be happier. Imagine somebody with that dirty penny that they found on the street saying, I would rather take my penny and have the freedom to violate any law that you have than to take on your ultimate resource and live by your commands. 
Imagine the folly of that, my friends. And that's what it's like in the face of the world. And people have even said things to make this um, catchy to their friends and fans. I would rather reign in hell than to be a servant in heaven. Think about what sinners have said. I would rather go to hell and still have my own way of doing things than to submit to a king and be a servant in a kingdom. Now do you understand why there's a hell? Because people love themselves more than they love God. And it may sound noble for the sinner. It may sound noble like, oh, yeah, you were born this way. No one's going to change you. You're going to fight for it even unto the end. And they have asked people, Frank Turek in college campuses has even asked people, you can see it online, after they've cussed him out, they've been angry with him. He says, if you knew for a fact that the Bible was true, it's no longer debated anymore, and you meet Jesus, what would you say to him? And there are sinners that would say, F you for making me this way and now telling me I go to hell if I don't change just to make you happy. You're so insecure. I would rather go to hell. That's the kind of anger people have towards God. Oftentimes we think of those who are not loving God as if they're only misguided. And there are some that are. And we've been there. There's certain, and not every sinner is alike. Let's be honest with that, okay? But sometimes we think to ourselves that all sinners are just misguided lost sheep just somewhere out there wandering, and if we just go there and help them and give them a little bit of knowledge of God, they'll just run towards the Creator and start worshiping Him. One man talked about this as a missionary. He said, as I heard the missionaries talking about their stories and reaching the unreached people groups, I was so excited to go there and to reach the poor Africans, to reach them with the gospel, to give them clean water so that they could all run towards Jesus. He said when he came to the African villages, he found hard-hearted sinners just like he did on the streets of America. That some there wanted their idols, wanted their witchcraft, wanted the worship of their ancestors, wanted their three wives and their perversion, and that the heart of a sinner was found even there. Like as if we would show up on the mission field and somehow bypass the depravity of the wicked human heart. That somehow somebody would be skipped from Adam and Eve's degeneracy that what Adam and Eve had fallen and brought to us in their cancer and AIDS passed down from generation to generation would somehow skip those in a place where they live off the land. And yet there, there this missionary found that the heart there of these unreached people group were just as wicked as anyone he had ever met. And he thought to himself, now I realize the great mercy of God. God is reaching people where many of them don't want to be reached. Sometimes we ask ourselves, what about this person? What about that person? Why, why is there different religions and all of this? And we oftentimes think to ourselves that people in China are just that naive. Or people in India where they worship these 300 million gods, they're naive. No, what you see is that sinners are saying, I would rather worship a monkey than worship the God who made me. Because the God who made me requires me to follow his laws. This monkey God lets me do what I want to do. And then they say things like, I love God. These false religions and these pagans will then say, I love God. Remember, Christianity did not come from the Bible Belt of the 1950s. Christianity was birthed in pagan Rome 
where a God was a God for every day of the week. We're even still named after those days, Thor's day. We're named after Saturn, Saturday. Are you listening to me? The days of the week were named after their gods. Festivals were for their gods. You get off for Christmas, they got off for Baal. They got off for Hercules. Are you listening to me? When the Christians wouldn't preach to them, they didn't preach to them some type of, some type of God an all-powerful, loving spirit in the sky that just wanted to be their best friend. When they went and preached to them, they preached repentance for their sins and their violations against the character of a God whose image they had been made in. And they were to know, even Romans talks like this, speaking to the people of Rome, the epicenter of the Roman paganism, that they were to know, even in their conscience, that these marble statues were no gods worthy of their love and worship. But why did they choose those gods? Because they would rather love that God with their dirty penny and be able to spend that dirty penny any way they wanted than to bow to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to follow his rules with the Amex Black Unlimited resources and power. Can I hear an amen to that? Brothers and sisters, the question today is, are you like the pagans who want a God in your image to worship, or are you and I, like the people of the Bible, worshiping Jesus, worshiping the God of the Bible in spirit and in truth, irregardless of how it makes us feel, irregardless of what the culture says, irregardless of the goosebumps, irregardless of what politicians say, but because we are convinced that through Jesus Christ, the greatest love was shared with us, and now we owe him our love in response. In other words, it is a joy to be a servant of a king because he captured us with his love and the sacrifice he gave us. If you reject Jesus and his sacrifice, you deserve hell. I want everyone to understand this. I mentioned it in the second service, and I didn't have time to bring it up uh, last week in the first service, but I would love to mention it now. Many church fathers have brought this up, and I agree with it. The fires of hell are the same fires of heaven that purify us and that torture them. In other words... God is present in hell in the same way he's present in heaven, but for the sinner, instead of the love of God purifying and drawing them closer, it is his love that torments and tortures them. Think about a wool sweater. It has a place and a time. If you wear the wool sweater at the right time and place, you love it. If you wear it today, you hate it. The Bible says for sinners who reject God, the cross is a smell of death and a stench to them. But to us who love Jesus, it's an aroma. Could it be that the very fires of hell are the fires of God's all-consuming love and that the reason why there is a place called hell is because those rejected his love, now as a basis of their choice, they must suffer under his love because they thought they knew of a better way. Could that really be hell? We don't have it black and white in Scripture, but the fathers who bring those passages to my attention have now gotten my support because the Bible says our God is an all-consuming fire, our God is holiness, and our God is love. So what is the fire burning in hell? It's God's holiness and love, and what purifies us tortures them. 
And I remember when I would leave my house as a sinner, when I was not living right, my mom would try to pray for me out, out the door every day. And parents, make sure you pray for your children. But her prayers would be like, her, the, the sound of her voice praying for me would be like nails on a chalkboard. I don't know if anybody else was a backslider like me, but that's what it felt like. It grieved me. Her hugs felt like porcupine needles against my skin. Because I wanted evil. I didn't want a mother's godly love. I didn't want to be prayed for. I wanted to live life on my own terms. And the very thing that a mother was doing to love me and to bless me was torment to my soul. This is why sinners love darkness This is why sinners love to keep company with their own. And this is why sinners want you to be like them as a sinner to ease their conscience. They do not want to feel a conviction in your presence. They do not want to see your love for God and your holiness to inspire them to worship God. They want you to become lukewarm just like them so that there's no light in their darkness. And brothers and sisters, you and I must decide that we love God too much to make them feel comfortable in compromise. I know exactly who to hang out with tomorrow if I was to cheat on my wife today. I know exactly what Christians would tell me what I want to hear. I know exactly what sinners to go to and spend time with them because they will ease and try to convince me of my conscience that I am now right in that behavior. Don't tell me you don't know where to go in your sin to find birds of like feathers to flock together with. There's a reason why you don't find eagles with chickens. Are you listening to me? There's a reason why you don't see chickens on mountaintops. God has called us to love him and soar on the winds of the eagles and not to be in the chicken hen houses. If you've ever been there, they live in their own dung and feces. The Bible teaches us that God is love. And that this love transforms us because we look to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. This is the passion of our lives. This is what makes Metro praise Metro praise in any church that serves God. When Jesus told us the greatest commandment was to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and our neighbor as ourselves, this didn't mean that we were going to write poetry to him and just write in our journal how good it feels to be with him. I had friends that used to get high and do that. That, that doesn't mean that now I'm just going to hang out with you and tell you what you want to hear. As oftentimes people leave, an offended, leave a church like this offended. I thought they loved me. It says it in their vision. They love God. But I've never met more hateful people. No, it's because you are a spiritual oompa loompa you are a fool you don't understand the love of God comes with a rebuke towards your sin they would rather have love be a mere feeling than a transformation of their heart and mind God's love compels us to be different in this world it doesn't give us an excuse to be uh, you know rude and disrespectful but I'm talking about the kind of offense where people leave these reviews on Google and I just read this one the other day says I've never met a place more hateful it's because we stand in front of abortion clinics and call mothers who are aborting their children murderers now we're the hateful ones brothers and sisters this is the world of folly the love of God torments their soul The last time I was out there, one of the men stood in front of me, and you were there, brother, when he said it. He said, I wish your mom would have aborted you. Jesus said in the book of Proverbs, all who hate wisdom love death. And the Bible said the nation that forgets their God will be turned to hell. This is what Sodom and Gomorrah looked like. 
You want to know what judgment of God upon lands in the Bible looks like? You want to know what Babylon looked like? You want to know what Sodom and Gomorrah looked like? You want to know what the Canaanites looked like who sacrificed their children? All you have to do is turn on the TV or go downtown. These are the nations God has judged. Because his love is an all-consuming fire. And brothers and sisters, we're looking for disciples in this church that are willing to say, I'll love God the way he deserves. I'll love God the way he deserves. And then those of us who have been here, come on, let's be honest. Those of us who have given that dirty penny to God's Amex are experiencing the greatest pleasures this world can never imagine. When the world looks at me, they think... I'm just your typical middle-aged young adult, a young, young man, whatever, you know, middle-aged man uh, with a young family and all of this, doing what I do just like them. No, we are not, a, no, we are not alike. Are you listening to me? We are not alike. Your heart, the sinner's heart, is tormented by the love of God, and I embrace it. My heart desires holiness, and they run from it. And they shame those who proclaim it to make themselves feel better. The Bible teaches us that God is worthy of our love. I want every man to look up at me, please. We are taught as men to provide for our families, to defend our nation. And this kind of masculinity is great. We, we applaud it. The Bible says that a father should do these things. But I want to tell you this, men. The most masculine thing we can do is bow before our king. He is greater than Brock Lesnar. He is greater than Mike Tyson. He is greater than any man you have ever seen, Ronnie Coleman. He is greater than any warrior. I've watched a documentary on all these men and what they've tried to accomplish, the latest one, Napoleon Bonaparte. I am telling you, there is nothing greater than when a man understands who his king is. Because when that man gets up off of his knees, he will live and die for the righteousness of that kingdom. That kingdom will have his heart and his loyalty. I am a kingdom man. Listen to me, brothers, and I'll speak to the women in just a moment. But men, we are called to be kingdom men. We are to live for the loyalty to our king, his kingdom above all things, even our own lives. When the world runs from him, we run to him. When he sends us out to battle, we stand on the front lines. That's what the men of God do. And the men of God will build a culture and a land and bring safety to the people once again. Our wives will trust us. We will be free from pornography and perversion. Those around us will follow us. The young people will get in line and stop selling drugs on our street corners. The teachers will start teaching right again the things in our culture because we'll show up as I did to the Elgin board meeting Monday. We will show up there with the word of God. And we will lead again our nation to the throne of God. And then every woman here needs to see themselves as a mother of Zion. As someone who provides the resources and the motivation for the men to be great. Now can women be great in the same kinds of ways I mentioned? Yes, you can be warriors, you can be all of these things. But understand, we need to understand from the Bible the differences and to acknowledge those that the women are to protect the home, to guard the media, not putting their children on iPads because they want to have a glass of wine and check out. But that the women will teach their children the scriptures of God. 
And that they'll teach the children how to guard their purity and how to be respectable in the neighborhood and community. That they'll sit on their porches and in their backyards and mother the community that they're in and adopt the children who don't yet have the mothers and fathers that are there for them. And they will provide a home and a protection over that home so that when the father comes, it's like Superman and Superwoman coming to their lair. And of course, all People will then make disciples, women with women, men with men, teaching them how to live for God. And our children will teach the children at the playgrounds what it's like. I love it when I hear my children are teaching the other children at the playground the things of God. It's because we love Jesus. The love of God changes us. The love of God gives us a vision. The love of God captures our heart. This is why when I talk to pastors and they say, well, how much do you emphasize the love? It sounds like you emphasize more the judgment because to them, a serious preacher, someone who takes heaven and hell serious, someone who takes the commands of God serious means somehow that I'm accenting the judgment. That's why sometimes we have to be careful when we say that being more gracious is really allowing something to get unchecked. That's not grace. That's greasy grace. That's sloppy agape. Because love covers a multitude of sin doesn't mean it doesn't rebuke the sin and to deal with the sin. Jesus with the woman at the well didn't just say to her, hey, it's okay, you got five baby daddies, everything's all right. No, he called her out so that she could see her great mess up of a life so that she would be thirsty to come to Jesus to receive everlasting life. Because obviously she doesn't know what she's doing. Jesus calls us to a higher way of living, and that's love. When you looked at a soldier storming the beaches of Normandy like a Saving Private Ryan type movie, uh, you know, typifies, those men loved their country, but there were no endorphins and goosebumps in those moments. The love of God was costing them blood, sweat, and tears as they stormed those beaches. The love of God will compel you to sacrifice for the things of God's kingdom. We cannot hold back our love because it comes with a sacrifice. Once again, if someone, as I'm thinking through even this message, someone says, well, that sounds like that's high demand. That sounds like you're like a cult, Joe. I mean, man, I've never heard this at a church. I just thought, you know, we're supposed to believe God loves us. He, he has a plan for our life. And then we just go home and just all talk about God's love. Listen to me. That mamsy, pamsy, limp, wristed, effeminate gospel changes nothing. The one that was in the boat landing on the shores of Normandy wasn't there to write a love letter to Germany. The love of the freedom needed them to put their cannons towards that wall and say, you're coming down and I'm stomping on you in a few minutes. And if you take out this one and you take out that one, it doesn't matter because someone's running up this hill until we wave our flag over your territory. That's what love for country caused those young men to do. And when the Bible uses illustrations of you are in a battle, that's the battle it's talking about. Not some battle of American Idol, who's going to win the battle of the greatest song and get the most votes. Everything's called a battle today. When we talk about the battle of love and the fight of faith, we're talking about people at that time. When I mean, you just read Ephesians 6, the, the helmet, the shield. You're talking about men who fought hand-to-hand combat unto death. You can't quit in the middle of this. You live and they die or they die and you live. That's how we fight. And now today we just want to compromise on everything. 
Let the devil have the hill of entertainment. Let the devil have the hill of our families. Let the devil have the hill of our education. And then we run back to our churches while we just love God. No, your love for God is fake and make-believe and nobody wants it. Doesn't change anything. No, the love of God will compel you, brothers and sisters, to stand in front of the abortion clinic and say, I'll adopt that baby rather than you murder it. The love of God will have you join with us on the high schools of this community, which, by the way, this past Friday, there were helicopters and police going all around because of murderous carjackings going on in our neighborhood. The Holy Ghost will put you on that same corner in a couple of weeks saying to those young people, there's a better way. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The love of God will compel you on your job that when everybody says we're wearing a rainbow for gay pride month, that will be coming up in a little bit. You say, yes, I'll wear that, but I just want to put Genesis chapter 7 and the flood of God's judgment right under that rainbow so that you understand what that thing's about. Hello, somebody. I'm wearing the rainbow with the judgment of God reminding you what God did. What does the love of God compel you to do? Well, I love God. How much? Show me. Pastor, I just love Jesus. How much? Show me. The Bible says in the book of James, some people say they have faith. He says, show me your works. He says, otherwise, even demons say they believe. How many know demons believed in Jesus? They were better than most internet atheists who are just sassy, blaspheming. Those demons know Jesus because he's put their, his boot on their neck a few times. So you say you love Jesus. Show me. How do you love Jesus, sir? How do you love Jesus, ma'am? Oh, I'm saved. I have people say that to me. I'm saved. Saved from what? Are you saved from your attitude yet? Are you saved from your stinking thinking? Are you saved from your temptations? Because that's part of what the Christian life looks like. Are you saved from your OnlyFans account? Are you saved from your greed? Or does your greed control your wallet instead of God? God, you can have my heart, but my wallet belongs to me. Don't ask me to give. God, I'll give you my life, but don't ask for my time. What does that mean? I don't have time for God means you don't have time for heaven. You want hell, my friend. I'm being honest with you. That's what I want. If you don't want God in his kingdom and devote your life to it, what you're saying is I'm okay with hell on earth. The very first part of the Lord's prayer is thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Wasn't that God's goal all along is to put heaven on earth? We chose from the, the, knowledge of, we chose the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We chose to put hell on earth. We chose to love our own freedoms. Remember, it was the freedom of the will that God had given mankind. It's your choice. He didn't force them. It was your choice. And we said, okay, as humanity, well, we'll take this. We'll take this. This is what I want. And that's what you hear from every sinner. It's my will be done, not God's. I want this. How, God, how dare God tell me I can't have this? I want my own wretchedness instead of God's righteousness. How many know God's calling us to be righteous and not ratchet? That's why I'm telling you, most people wish that I would dress up like a mother and have you call me father, because you'll go to those churches and not understand anything that man said. You come here, and within 30 seconds, you understand exactly what this Bible's talking about. And I will walk out of here in my sketchers and blend right back into society, and many of you will have to go home with your heart beating and your palms sweaty because you're wondering, is this truly what God actually said? 
And maybe then you'll run back over to Father Tom. You'll run back over here to Bishop so-and-so to find solace in their backslidden ways. Because let me tell you something. I know most of these pastors, and many of them are just as backslidden as you are. The only difference is that they have the gift of public speaking. I have friends that are great at public speaking. They're also great at living double lives and being hypocrites. We get so enamored by, by uh, you know, Phil uh, Harvey, you know, Steve Harvey, because he's a great speaker and he makes us laugh. And we go on his talk shows in Chicago as a shame. It reminds me of, uh, of an old saying that they took the village idiot and made him in charge. That's what I think of when we go to these shows. I've even, I've even seen clips where people say, well, I'm a Christian, and this is what I believe, Steve. And, Steve, I need help with my marriage. Why are you asking this wicked sinner who has not shown any faithfulness in any kind of marriage what you should be doing? Ask your pastor. And yet they then say, well, my pastor did this. My pastor offended me. My pastor did this. So you'll come up on Steve Harvey, tell your whole business, but your pastor said one thing you don't like, and you're never going back. I always laugh when I think about what people put up with on Dr. Phil shows. And yet one time they'll be in a service like this. Even like right now, I guarantee you somebody's going, oh, he may be talking about me because I said that to a leader. And a leader probably said to And they'll leave out here offended. While you'll have some transvestite on Dr. Phil exposing their whole life, catch me outside, girl. Everybody will put it all out there for the world to see and then just keep on minding their own business loving Dr. Phil. And yet here you have a pastor that actually cares about your life. Why don't we interview every one of you today? Why don't we do that? Because you shouldn't be ashamed of your life for God. You're going to be judged publicly one day naked in front of all of us anyway. Our nakedness will be exposed to the world, my friends. My life, this pastor's life will be put but before you like a screen and everything I've ever done. And if I'm holding on to things, even this sermon that I preached out of my own flesh, you'll watch it vanish into dust. You will watch mega pastors with mega messes and their ministries will vanish into dust like sand falling through their hands with nothing to show for it. And these were our heroes, zeros in the kingdom of God. The heroes of this world, many of them are zeros in the kingdom of God. And I preach this to myself, lest I deceive myself, beat the air, and lose the fight of faith. I fear God. I love him enough to respect him. Does anybody else want to do that today? To honor the God of the Bible. To say, that's my God. You don't get to blaspheme him. I'll mention this joker right now because he makes me so upset. It brings a holy anger. Michael Todd... This showboating preacher put a Bible up there and put syrup on it and whipped cream on it and disgraced the Bible to try to say something about, you know, we don't understand the principles of this world and how they interact with the Bible. But he disgraced the Bible in the means of doing it. You see these kind of popular preachers disgracing the Bible. You had another one during Super Bowl week, and I wish I knew their name so I could say it, kicking the Bible like they would kick a football, trying to once again, for whatever reason they have, to try to say we're going to push the Word of God forward, but acting like fools. They have no honor for God. They have no honor for God's Word. And yet they're the ones... Many of your coworkers want you to be like, and when you preach like this to them, they'll say that you're not loving because they think that idiot is the one loving God. And I don't have permission to call them fools and idiot. Jesus did. They're whitewashed tombs. They look good on the outside, but on the inside, they're full of dead men's bones. 
Well, Pastor, you're so sure angry talking about God's love. I don't know what to, what to say here, man. I thought we were talking about God's love, but you seem angry. Your love will expose what you hate. If your love does not come with hate, then do you really love? Listen, your love will show you what you hate. How many love children? Come on, how many love children? How many hate child molesting? Don't you tell me you love children and you tolerate child molesting. How many of you here love your spouse? How many would hate rape for that spouse? Don't you tell me you love your spouse and that you would want them to be raped and kidnapped. Don't you tell me you love God and you don't hate sin. I hate sin. I love the sinner because God loves the sinner. God gave us all a chance in our sin. I thank God he didn't come November 4th, 1995 because I would have been in hell deserving of it because I rejected the love of God and it would have tormented my soul. I'm being honest with you. But your love will expose what you hate. I hate that preachers are desecrating the word of God. I hate that I have to talk to my brother Lawrence about what happened at IHOP because I'm going to expose it now. What happened at IHOP because Mike Bickle was having sexual affairs with young ladies in the early 80s and uh, late 80s and 90s and then started one of the biggest ministries and the people around them didn't say anything even though they had checks about this guy's behavior because it then went to adults and other women. So just like no different than the Catholic Church, it takes 20 plus years, a Me Too movement to finally expose it and then he gets to go in hiding before any of us get to rebuke him. No, the Bible says bring that man before all that he will be rebuked, that the others will take notice and fear God. Bring him back up here. Let us shame that behavior. That is not acceptable in the things of God. And yet we get ridiculed. Christians are being ridiculed and yet we're the ones trying to set the record straight. Anytime, brothers and sisters, listen to me, anytime somebody says, what about this? It's called what about-isms. When you try to preach to them, they're going to say, well, what about this? Well, what about that? Well, what about this? Well, what about that? Just tell them whatever you say that is a sin, I will condemn it with you right now. Now, what will you do as a sinner? Will you repent? Well, what about this church? This church stole from people. Then they're going to hell. Okay, next one. Well, what about this pastor? He molested that child. That one's going to hell. How many know what I'm talking about? And after we get through all the whataboutisms, now ask them, what about you? Do you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Do you love your neighbor as yourself? Have you made a sacrifice for the kingdom of God? Have you become a reproach to this world so that the kingdom of God can go forth? You ever see people pour out their beer at the, uh, at the funerals of their homies back in the day? That comes from the Bible. There was a drink offering that the priest would pour out. You would bring your best alcohol to them. Alcohol is not a sin in the Bible. It's drunkenness, that is. And people don't even realize this. But even that alcohol was used as a part of God's ceremonial sacrifice. I love talking about that to the Baptists. If it was so bad, why did God say bring it to church? Are you listening to me? But here's the thing, just like everything else, it was given to God. The animal, you bring your best animal. And what happens? It's a sacrifice to God. Come on, friends. What does that teach you when you bring your best to God? Here's my best car. God set it on fire right here. Come on. What if we did? Here's my best purse. God set it on fire right in front of me. That's what they were learning in their sacrifices. Here is my best Now burn it right in front of me. Here's my best alcohol. Pour it out right in front of me. 
but I want you to understand this. What is that sacrifice? Jesus. Every one of those animal sacrifices was pointing towards the greatest sacrifice. Now get this. And what's that mad dog? That's you and I. We get him poured out right over it. The father said, I'm sending my son to be the lamb sacrificed. And you are going to be the drink offering. We pour right on top of it. Right now, Mozambique is losing pastors to Islam extremists. Our missionaries, Tisa and Jean in the Philippines, are connected to that group, spent time in Mozambique. We have martyrs right now being poured out for the land of Mozambique right now. Right now, we have martyrs dying for the Christian faith. Right now, we have pastors who are suffering around the world. I just saw another one in Mayapar where they're having a civil war. They went into a Catholic church to desecrate it and to mock Christianity. Christians right now are being poured out, and the world would look at them and say, What a waste! What a waste! Why are you laying down your lives for these people? Why would you care about the West Side? Just leave them alone. And granted, many churches did. They called it white flight. There used to be in those churches already integration, but the churches that saw that it was becoming more urban, more uh, minority, as people would say. And so the white churches took off. You go right down here on Narragansett and Belmont, and you'll see an Islamic center. Do you know what that used to be called? Good Shepherd Assembly of God. But they said to themselves, it's getting too Latino around here. It's getting too urban around here. We don't have enough of Bill and Janes around here. So we got to go further to the suburbs, and now it's taken over by the Muslims. So you look at these communities, and you say, oh, yeah, they need some help. But let somebody else help them. No, that's not what Christians do. Christians say, God so loved me, he left heaven and came to earth. I will so love them, I will leave the comfort of my house and step out on that block and preach the gospel in the face of ridicule. I'm telling you, when I go out to preach the gospel, that's exactly what it feels like. I'm saying goodbye to my family, beautiful, lush house. Thank you, Lord, I'm blessed. How many people are blessed with a nice home or a nice apartment? I, I leave that place. I get in my car. I got worship music playing, and then I start passing all the places where I like to shop and I like to eat, and then I just keep on going further and further and further in the hood, places where I'll be honest, when I was a sinner, I used to be afraid to drive down, and then before you know it, I get to that old dirty alley. How many know what I'm talking about? They're on Madison and Pulaski, that old dirty alley where I had to make sure I wore shoes that I was okay of getting dirty that day. And I park that car and I get out of that car and it hits me almost every single time. This is where I may die today. One preacher was already shot in the head preaching the gospel in another state. Are we promised any a special protection bubble now? I know God says he'll be, he'll be before us and behind us, but isn't there a time where Christians have bad things happen to them too? Isn't there a time where we get martyred too? How do we know that drug dealer is going to be okay with us today? He saw us a few other times, flipped us off a few other times, told us to get the blank away from his block. How do we know today won't be the day he just decides to spray that block? I'm sacrificing my life for Chicago. Why? Because I love God. I worship God. Go with me quickly to John chapter 4, verse 23. How many are worshiping God with me today? Not just in a song. We do that as well. But just not just with a song, but with your life. 
A time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. These are the kind of worshiper the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. Please put up the picture of the saint in the arena of Rome, the depiction of that, him standing while the rest are kneeling. Everybody says, well, I love Christian worship music. It even grieves my heart when I've watched American, uh, America's Got Talent, and there's always at least one or two choirs that come there, and God bless them. I know what they're trying to do. They want to share the good news of Jesus, the gospel that's sung through their songs, and uh, it just grieves me, though, when I start seeing Howie Mandel, that wicked sinner, just clap into our gospel. That's not worship. That's not worship. The Hindus could get you dancing to their songs as they worship Ganesh. I've been to a Hindu temple. I've been a part of their Peshadam. It's their festival. And I've watched them dance for hours. You think Pentecostals dance, you should be around the Hare Krishnas dancing. But they do it out of legalism like the prophets of Baal. They have to do it during their festivals for a certain amount of time. And I was just watching them go in circles and dancing. And you could see after a while they weren't really having that much fun. But it was like, we got to do this. Can you worship God here, though? That's where our saints worship God. I'm not talking about some of these phony saints that they make up in time in the Catholic Church. I'm talking about where we got the idea of saints from in the Bible. I'm talking about early Christians and when they laid down their lives for Jesus. One of the most earliest recommend, uh, one of the most uh, closest to our time, uh, please put up the slide now, of the Coptic brothers kneeling down before ISIS as they were about ready to be beheaded. You know what they were saying in their times of, 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 of kneeling there with their eyes closed as they had a blade start going across their neck? They were worshiping God in spirit and truth by reciting the Our Father. Will you worship God in the face of persecution? Will you worship God when everything has gone wrong? Will you have a praise in your heart that even can last in the midnight of a jail cell? I thank God that preachers still remind us of that. Your breakthrough is coming. Got to worship in a jail cell. How many get excited when you hear preaching like that? But I want to give you the reality of that right now. Most of us, within an hour in that jail cell, would be wetting our pants, hiding in the corner, saying, God, you don't love me anymore. But what if God said, I love you the most? That's why I put you there. Now lay down your life for me. Get ready to be poured out. This is your turn. This is your turn. These were just ordinary men, and ISIS wanted to make an example out of them. How would you like it, sir? I have roofers here, men that work construction, probably men just like that. How would you like to be yanked out of your job? How would you like to be taken from your work site, asked if you're a Christian to the point of death, and then you say you are, and this is where you find yourself, a prisoner kneeling before pagans who worship stones. Muslims are pagans who worship the Kaaba. Are you listening to me? What will you do now with your worship? Where is your prayer now? Where is your cross now? Where is your devotion now? Can I hear an amen if you'll love God even unto death? You see, so often we say to God, like pawn stars, well, I'll give you my life, God, but I want that, that shiny thing there on the shelf. That's why you got to be careful, those of you going to the jail, preaching jailhouse religion. Jesus is going to change you. He's going to get you sober, going to get you a wife, going to get your kids, going to get your house. You're going to get out here. You're going to get you a Cadillac. Boy, you want Jesus, raise your hand. We'll baptize you now. Be careful with that. Be careful with that. Because what, what if Christianity will cost them everything? You ready to get out of here, be disowned by everybody you know? 
You ready to get out of here and have to live at a shelter for a year as you work on your addictions and your ability to treat people and not be a criminal anymore because we don't trust you, so we're putting you in a halfway house? You ready to go to Bible study five days a week? You ready to work long hours because no one's going to hire you? Are you willing to keep your in your pants because you're going to honor women? And you might be now a bachelor to the rapture. I was 10 years before I got to be with a woman again. Are you listening to me? 18 to 28. Don't promise these young men a wife when they walk out of there. And will you serve Jesus if your gang comes to you and says, it's us or Jesus, make your mind up now. Read Cross in the Switchblade or the movie about David Wilkerson going to the gangs of New York and what it cost them. Nikki Cruz. Brothers and sisters, we worship God not because it feels good, but because he's worthy of it. He's our king whether we feel like him being our king or not. Who created this universe anyways? Who deserves it more than him? All of the other gods are but demons in disguise. Don't tell me he's like all the other gods. I went home and checked in the second service. I was about ready to put up a story of Krishna and him stealing the young maiden's clothes so they could come to him bare-breasted, uh, bare-chested with their breasts hanging out. I was about ready to put up in second service, and I said, well, I wonder if I could find a way that I, I could have did that without them showing the nudity, and there wasn't a way. And yet people will say, our precious Jesus is just like Krishna because Christ and Krishna sound the same. Well, if that's true, why don't you live in a mouse because it's the same thing as a house? They're not the same. Are you listening to me? My Jesus is not like any of them. And yet, everybody get this. My Jesus says, lay down your life for him. Go to John chapter 14, verse 17, quickly in closing. Somebody say, help me, Lord, to love you the way you deserve. Come on, say it again. Jesus, I ask you to help me to love you the way you deserve. Help me, Jesus. Any husband after I ever say that to their wife? I have. <laughs> Nancy, help me to love you because I don't understand you and I don't get you. But help me to love you the way you deserve. Look at this scripture, John chapter 14, verse 15, rather. We'll read through to 17. Jesus said, if you love me, keep coming to church and shouting when a preacher talks good. Is that what it says? If you love me, just go around the world and tell everybody that you love me. Put on bumper stickers, Christian t-shirts, and just tell everybody, I love God. Is that what it says? If you love me, make sure that you always keep sharing memes on your Facebook that talk about how much I love you and you're a king's kid, a daughter of a king. Does it say here, if you love me? Just buy a Christian book every now and then and read it so you can have a better life. What does it say? If you love me, one, two, three, keep my commands. I want everyone to get this as we get to the illustration here of war again. What do I think a command of God is? I think it's guardrails for your car. You ever drove up on mountainsides? I have Sahara, Nevada. I was with my dad. It's the scariest thing I've ever seen. You're driving towards the edge. You look down. There's not a lot there. How many are happy? At least there's a rail. <laughs> How many are happy for a rail then? Well, why are these construction workers doing so? They're trying to keep you safe. That's why. Be safe around them. Don't hurt them. Are you listening to me? How about this illustration? And I had a Marine here confirm they still do it. They have these Marines crawl across the ground for probably, I think, about the length of a football field. And they have the barbed wire across their head. 
And then they have live ammunition. I don't know if they still do that anymore, but I know at time they would do it. They would have live ammunition firing across there, or at least now they have the sound of it. And they have a drill sergeant yelling at them whenever their head starts to get too high. Put your head down. Put your head down. Do you think that drill sergeant is doing that so that they can feel the endorphins of love? Oh, I got goosebumps. I used to have a friend in Bible college that would do that whenever we'd have a great worship time. Oh, man, I, I feel Jesus. I got goosebumps. Bro, people get that watching Cinderella when she gets vindicated. Ooh, I feel goosebumps when she gets her slipper. People feel goosebumps for all kinds of things. That's not just love. That's just a feeling you felt up in here in your ambigula when things were going off here in the brain, in the stem of the brain with your nerves. We all like those feelings. That's great. But that's not just love. When that drill sergeant is saying to that soldier, keep your head down, that command is not to invoke warm fuzzies on the inside of them. That command is to keep them safe, to spare their life from the enemy that wants to kill, steal, and destroy them. Are you listening? Jesus said, if you love me, if you really love me, keep what I commanded you. Maybe you're here today, you're dealing with unwanted attractions. What you need to do is get right with God and say, Lord, I feel like this is what I'm supposed to do. But I hear your command saying that it's only good for a man and a woman to be together. God, help me to love you. You may be here today, and you don't feel like reading your Bible. You don't feel like praying. You, you don't feel like going to outreach or to Bible study. And you might be just being honest with yourself, going, I'm tired, and I work hard, and people got to know God ain't going to pay my bills. I, you, know, you might be feeling like that. I got to work. If I don't do it, nobody will do it. You need to come to Jesus and say, Lord, help me crucify my flesh today. And keep your command to gather with the saints and not forsake it. I would doubt you really ever have loved God if you haven't prayed a prayer like that. I heard a brother testify. I won't name his name. I hope he comes to the second service. I love him so much. He said, this week I was tempted to go back to vaping. And I said, God's got your back because I can relate to being addicted to nicotine. You want to know how nicotine broke off of my life? How there was a day I never smoked again? It was me on my carpet, face down like a beached whale, crying on my face. God, help me stop this. And God gave me a word that changed my life. You want to know what it's like to get out of pornography? You want to know what it's like to be faithful to a wife? Talk to husbands around here. And the prayers that they have had to pray, God, help me to love you the way you want and the way you deserve to be loved. And what does he do in those moments? The Father sends you another advocate through Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That means something to a holy person. 
That's not praying only for your raise. That's not praying only for your, uh, you know, your house mortgage to get refinanced at a good rate. Well, pray for me, brother. I'm going to get refinanced, and I believe God's with me, and he can do all things. No, it's for you when you are looking at your sin like it's the greatest lion you've ever faced in your life, and it is roaring at you to devour you. It is at that moment you stand on the word of God, bring out the sword of the Spirit, and you say to the devil, this is what's going down today. I will stand, and you will fall in the name of Jesus. He lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. I love God. I keep his word, and I keep the testimony of Jesus loving my life, not even unto death. Hallelujah. Would you stand up and join others who are in victory today? Come on, somebody shout and give God a, give God a shout of victory. We believe. We are victorious. We love God. We love God. Band and altar workers, would you come, please? And when you love God like that, you fear no man, and you fear no evil. You say, wow, that's a lot of passion. Yes, because then you fear no evil. Think of all the things you and I fear. We fear, you can put it all the way down to one thing. What do we really fear whenever we fear? Evil. Well, I'm afraid of this. I'm afraid of that. What are you really afraid of? Evil. And what does Jesus say? Fear not, for I am with you. How does the fear leave our hearts? Through loving God with abandonment. I love God with total abandonment. I fear no evil. Have I felt the feelings of fear? Absolutely. But remember, the feelings of fear are no more real than the feelings of love and perversion. I wish I could preach a whole other message with somebody hearing me today. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you won't feel the fear of evil. Just because you're loving God with everything doesn't mean you will not fear a feel that fear of evil. When I got done doing her wedding, I was driving on my way to the airport to drop off the rent-a-car. I received a phone call from a friend. Have you heard about so-and-so? I said, no. What happened? He's been found out to cheat on his wife, and he got the secretary pregnant. In that moment, from her, what was my favorite wedding, that moment for the next three months, I battled the fear of failure over my life. Why? Because every time I went to pray, the devil was right there. You will not make it. You will fall. You're going to fall just like him. You will mess up. You will not have this testimony. You will be ashamed to the gospel. You will have to look at your wife and children and say, I blew it. I can't live with your mom anymore. For three months, that devil came knocking at my door. I'm telling you, I know what it's like to fear evil. I'm not playing with you. I'm telling you, whatever your fear is, you will melt that, reduce that down, and it is evil at the heart of it. And that fear will try to control you. But the Bible says in that same passage that the love of God dispels the fear of evil. It is the love of God that will dispel from your heart that weakness. And I love how John Wesley, uh, rather, uh, William Booth from the Salvation Army said it, and we got to learn to sing it here. Set us on fire again. Listen to what it says. Make our weak hearts strong and brave. Lord, send your fire. Would you put it up there, the words for send your fire? The hymn, send your fire. We'll say this in closing. 
Make our weak hearts strong and brave. A dying world to save. Lord, send your fire. God, send your fire that burns away the fear, that burns away the temptation. Whenever I hear about a backslider, and then they say, well, Pastor, I still love God. Man, man, come on, man. I still love God. No, you don't. Your love for God is some superficial thing you want to say to make yourself sleep better at night. Now that you're with that girlfriend or boyfriend or shacking up or having that habit in your life, you are lying to yourself. You don't love him. Because if you loved him, you would be where he is. If I said to my wife, well, I still love you as I'm cheating on her, she has every right to look at me and say, don't you tell me that. That's something they say in soap operas to sound romantic, to have the star of the show be confused trying to figure out. It is not that hard, friends. If you love your spouse, you will be faithful to them till death do you part. Listen to me. The mortician, the doctor will have to come to your deathbed and remove your hands from your lover because that's how you'll die with them in your heart, holding on to them till death. Do you hear that today? I'm speaking to somebody today. Do you hear that, what we say so flippantly in our marriage ceremonies? To death. To death do we part. Nancy, if you're here, come up here quickly. Till death do we part. That's the only thing that's pulling these hands apart. I want to find the verse here. Make our weak hearts strong and brave. Go down a little bit. Thank you. To make our weak hearts strong and brave send the fire to live a dying world to save, send the fire. O see us on thy altar lay, our, lay, our lives are all this very day. To crown the offering, now we pray, send the fire. I want to be the crown. I want to be the, the jewel on Jesus' crown. That when he says on judgment day, demons and sinners, before I give you what you all wanted, which is your separation from me, before I cast you from my presence, I want you to see some of the highlights of what this world produced through my love. Juan Riasco, stand up here and show them the love of God. An example. Next one. Stand up here, Danny, in the example of the love of God. The last thing sinners are going to see is us being crowned with the glory of God being made the gems on his crown. Are you listening to me? Come on up here, please, Nancy. The last thing the world on their way to hell will see is the saints of God being glorified. And then the Bible says in the book of Revelation, Michael, that they will then come and worship at our feet, that God, as he gives them the excavation to hell, as he gives them the excommunication. Are you listening to me, my brother? You will be made a royal diadem in the presence of God, crowned with the glory that he gives you. I just want everybody to see this. Your other hand here, please. This is how 
we meet our makers. If you're next to your spouse, hold their hands quickly as we get ready to close out. This is how we meet our makers in marriage. Amen? I said, this is how we meet our maker in marriage. This is how we go to meet him. Till death do us part. The love of God will transform every part of your life. And I just felt that over our marriages as we get ready to close. Father, I ask you to bless us as we depart from here, not your presence. May we get filled with the love of God. Lord, if there's anyone here that needs to be saved, forgiven of sin, may they do that now, calling out your name even as we did in communion. May those who have needs, God, those who have prayer requests, come to these prayer workers to receive your love. And whether they see the instantaneous miracle or not, may they be faithful to your name. May we love you and serve you, O Lord. May we be the moon and you be the sun and reflect your glory everywhere we go in the darkness of night. May we shine, O God, in this world with our love for you, hating that which is evil, clinging to that which is good until your kingdom comes and your will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. And all God's people said,